What is it you want, Barry? What do you want? You, you want the moon? Just say the word and I'll throw a lasso around it and pull it down. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, dying times here. Come with me if you want to live. That's it, man. Game over, man. Game over. The Force will be with you. Always. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to 20th Century Geek. I'm your regular host, Scott Weatherly, and we are back in the Batcave, riding along in that tumbler, ready to complete our Batman retrospective. This has been an absolute saga. We've gone from 1966, the camp classic with Adam West. We've gone all through the Burtonverse, the Schumacherverse. Uh, and right into the Nolan verse, and we are going to finish off today with the Dark Knight and the Dark Knight Rises. So I hope you've enjoyed it, and I hope you're going to enjoy the end of this. I'm now going to hand over to myself, Mike, and Megan, and our final reviews. So that takes us then into the Dark Knight, and let's start with because we've had Jack Nicholson, and we've had um, Mark Hamill, and now we've got the Heath Ledger Joker. So what what's your take then for the dark knight 20 uh, 2008 came out your thoughts on heath ledger joker having heath seen ledger the- is my favorite joker <laughs> i love heath ledger <laughs> anyway so um yeah i thought he played a really good role for the for the joker yeah great i think he's he is one of those ones where you know, a lot of the when the film came out, there's a because obviously he died. Because uh, I looked up a fair amount about his death and stuff. Because I remember hearing lots of different rumors here and there about it. So, um, and I remember obviously when he died, he got given like an honorary Oscar sort of thing. And mm. it's it's one of those things. Where I don't think he would have been given it if he hadn't died. Even though I feel like he definitely deserved it. And I feel like his his interpretation of the Joker is right on so many levels like the jack nicholson joker i think is brilliant i think he without the ledger joker i'd say he's probably the best um excluding Mm. maybe the mark hamill joker in some of the games which is savage in the arkham games but i think that heath ledger's joker is enough of a new take from all the other jokers for it to be fresh without it doing a bloody jared leto joker which is completely destroying the characters Mm. and And he's also not too crazy yes like he's got kind of like a, a balance between being completely insane and just intelligent as fuck <laughs> like yeah there is a good like fine line between it and i find that even with like the jack nicholson joker as much as i enjoyed it it was just jack nicholson playing jack nicholson he was just being <laughs> yeah. he was just being mental yeah. whereas, whereas with heath ledger's joker there's a bit more like kind of finesse to the character it's, it's more it's it? more refined yeah and I, what i love about it as well is one of my favorite little things is just he tells people different reasons how he got the scars mm. and he is that whole weaving into the sort of comic realms that i've been getting more into where he doesn't he has multiple origin stories where he doesn't stick to one and i think that he is he's just it's one of those things where it's hard to i don't like agreeing with the hype machine a lot because it often they do overdo everything. But I just think, I think Heath Ledger's joke is probably one of the only things that has got mass hysteria of overwhelmingly positive reviews. And I stand behind that completely and go, you know what? He is definitely the highlight of the film. I mean, the Harvey Dent Two-Face is excellent, but Joker's, the Heath Ledger's Joker, I just think from from the performance, from the look, from the starting scene with the bank stuff, it's Mm -hmm. just 
every level of it gets better. And I remember watching it for the first time. And for me personally, spoiler, Dark Knight, I think is one of the best ones ever made. But with Joker's Dark Knight, the thing that really was the cherry on the top, I remember was right near the end where he does the whole, um, the two boats, one with a, a, a criminals on it and one with the normal people. Yeah, that's good. As soon as that, and he had the plan and he has the detonator pl- and he plans to blow them both up when he yeah. gets to be it wasn't one of those cop-out things where it's like, oh, I didn't really have a plan B. I thought they were really going to... He's like, no, if they... and he reaches for the detonator and Batman fights him and gets it off him. And I was just like, this is as genius as it can get because you've got a comic book villain, but he, he doesn't do anything that's un- unrealistic. These are all genuinely genius ideas of how to tear Gotham and in turn Batman mm. apart in so many ways. And really, I can't really praise it enough. I think it's absolutely brilliant in, in every manner. I think it's one of those lightning in the bottle. It is iconic. I think he, mm. he, he brought something to this, and I can see why it took such a toll on him mm. as an actor. Yeah. Like he, you know, he invested in this character, and if he was playing this character, um, you know, it's a really dark character, but he's like hyper-intelligent. I think one of the things that I was looking around on the, you know, on the old interweb and stuff, at like how people had reacted to um, the Heath Ledger Joker, and there seems to be a bit of a, a split on how they t- take it, like how they take the film and him in it. Like a lot of people sort of go, oh no, he's a complete anarchist. And it's all sort of like, you know, as he says, um, I just do, you know, that's like they literally take him at face value. It's like, oh, he just does stuff. Um, and then there's others that are like, no, no, no. Um, you know, some, some of it's a plan. Some of it's a, some of it's a plan. Some of it's him just doing. But there's, I, the more I watched it, especially this time, and I really watched it, for, for this review, I was like, no, everything that happens in this film, like he has, he's, he's hyper intelligent. Like everything that happens in this film, like he has planned out, like it may not be exactly as he wants it, but he's got an alternative. Like if this happens, I know I'm going to do this. And if this happens, I know I'm going to do that. Like mm. it plays the characters wonderfully. Um, you know, like the way he talks to people and you can see that he's just a master manipulator. Uh, from the guy who he talked, you know, the, the guy with, with uh, clearly got mental health issues, who he talks into having a bomb and a telephone put into his stomach. Mm. Um, oh, through, yeah. through to how he nudges um, Harvey Dent into becoming the two fa- you know, the angry two face, as we've talked about. Like, you know, in that point where he's saying, like, oh, this wasn't me. This was, this was uh, you know, the Maroney and his guys. Like, this was, this wasn't, this wasn't me. Oh, no, no. I, do I look like I've got a plan? Oh, God, no. Fully knowing that he set the whole thing up, mm. you know, and then he starts to sort of articulate how really that sort of like Gordon and the others are the actual villains of the piece and it just keeps nudging and nudging and sort of to get people to do what he wants them to do without them really knowing it. Um, and it's, I think all of it comes down to, like it starts about money. Like when he turns up, it's about taking down the Batman. And then quickly he's like, doing this is an awful lot of fun. Like <laughs> fucking with Batman in this city is a great laugh. Like it's the, and you, I think I legit see that by the end of this film, like he, the Joker in this has an arc. Mm. But this is the Joker. This is the, the Joker origin story where like, yeah, he's just a guy who's a bit of a, who is a freak who's incredibly intelligent and does these things and come to Gotham to say, yeah, I'm going to help out these gangs and take out the Batman. And then the more it happens, the more he's like, well, I really want to take down the Batman. I'm not going to kill him, but I'm going to take him down. Like the moment, you know, he's, he's, um, Batman's flipped the truck, which is Ace, 
Um, yeah. And the Joker stood there and he's shooting him. He's like, come on, come on. And he wants him to remember. Like, he really does want him to run him down. Yeah. Because he's like, no, if I'm going out, like your reputation's going with you. Like, I want to destroy you. I don't want to kill you. I want to destroy you because that's the fun of this. That's the joke. You know, I can do that. Um, and, and that's what I think, yeah, he is. He's just, he's just so good at that. And all his little facial tics. Um, and then, like you say, the stories he gives to the different people. Like, so when he stands up to uh, gamble, the the in the first the first guy, um, uh, Michael, what's it? I forget the guy's name now, but he played Spawn in the nineties. But um, and he tells him the story about how uh, his dad was dr- was a drunk and did these things to him, and mm. then cut his mouth open to sort of you know why so serious. And then he tells Rachel the different story about how his wife got mugged and was attacked and disfigured so he did this and now she can't sort of look at him and stuff i think like it comes to that thing you say about the joker has these multiple origin stories and uh it just plays it all into this wonderful sort of tapestry of who this character is without really as you sort of said megan before but you want to sort of know more about the character well i don't this is one of those characters i'm like no no, no i don't want to really know where you've come from i don't care because you've come fully formed and i like everything you're doing yeah, I mean, with the Joker, it's kind of different. I feel like I do want to know more about the characters, but as you said, he has an arc within his within this film himself. Mm. So, like, although I don't know his origin story, I know more about that character. The issue that I had with the other ones is that they're kind of just blasé, thrown to the side. So, like, with Scarecrow, for example, I don't know anything about him. He just appears, like, a handful of times, yeah. and suddenly he's in the second one, and then suddenly <laughs> he's in the third one. Yeah. He just... Like, fucking appears from time to time whereas like the joker is is the baddie he is the main consistent villain in the film mm. and you develop like well not a relationship with him but like you learn about that character because he is in the film for an extended period of time regardless mm. of whether you know his backstory well that's why it's so masterful isn't it because yeah. instead instead of it being a simple you know this is the joker here's a flashback to (laughs) yeah what it does instead of being the sort of quite upfront obvious kind of bland like uh, the jack the jack nicholson uh, origin story the joker that was quite cool especially because i think that was needed in that kind of film and it works Mm. but in this film if they did all that it would take away because that's not the point the point is there's a he's just a guy but he's got he's so clever and he knows exactly what he's doing all the time i mean even at the end when it's like um He's. He, I think there's an interaction between him and Batman, and he, and then Batman says, "You want to kill me?" And he laughs. He's like, "I don't want to kill you." And it, it yeah. explains so the reason like why. he's swinging from the roof. Yeah, and he's mm. like, he's like, "You're the most fun I've ever had." And it's like that exact. He takes all the aspects I think from the other Jokers, like the 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 Mark Hamill Joker has got that crazy uh, eclectic sort of fast talking thing that works really well, but that only comes in bursts in this Joker, and he's he's a realistic character, and as you you both said, it's everything he does you believe it you believe he's doing all of this because as you say he starts it he gets taste for it and he just loves messing with people and him he says it kind of to batman towards the end he said you know we're doomed to do this forever and stuff and it's just that whole he just wants to break batman and show the world that people aren't as good as they pretend they can be Mm. and it's almost in a way it's kind of like thanos in the sense of you do actually understand that point of view you know when you get someone who just wants Mm. to Who's, who's just insane and wants to go around and just kill everyone, children, men, women, and children, just because they love killing. You're like, well, you're just a nut job. But when you're someone who's like, oh, it, I'm killing all these people 
to show something, to do something, because I want to break Batman. I want to, you know, Harvey Dent was the one person who was the shining light who was going to basically make it so you didn't need a Batman. I'm going to tear him down as well. You've got all the police officers, and you, there's obviously every layer of it is just him mm. proving a correct point, which is what I think adds so much depth to me. He's not this madman shouting in a quiet room. He's actually saying stuff that does have weight to it. Well, yeah, and that's what's so scary. Yeah, you learn about his character regardless of whether you know how he came about. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I like the fact you're right because the, the point of him really is, is is that thing of like proving that it, it goes back to there's a, there's a story, um, the Killing Joke, which is like the, the oh, quintessential one, yeah. uh, joke story. And in that, there's this the the idea is that you know everyone can have a bad day, and that bad day can tip you one way or the other. So for Joker, that one bad day tipped him over the edge to become the Joker. But Batman's one bad day tipped him over the edge to become Batman. Like this is that you, we're both the same. We just we just had these different, you know, uh, end goals in mind. And I like that the Joker in this, as you say, is, is basically just trying to prove a point. Like that's how he sees it. It's like there's no good people. There's no particularly bad people. There's just people who will make decisions. And you know, when push comes to shove, they will try and go for self-preservation and he, do, he does he keeps proving it and then eventually you sort of you start to see that the city proves him wrong like first you know um, commissioner gordon proves him wrong and then the people on the boat prove him wrong um but he's yeah, always... i really liked it when the when the criminal got the keys and everyone like you just assume that he's going to blow the boat up the other mm. boat and he just throws it out the window. He's one of my favourite characters. I'm like, yay! Yeah, I love him, because he looks obviously how foreboding he looks. He's got the scar on his eye, and he's like a big, bold guy. And then there's terrifying. that like idiot on the other boat that's like too big for his boots. He's like, oh, no one's going to do it. I'll fucking do it. I'll fucking do it. And then he yeah. goes and gets it, and he's like, oh, I can't do it. <laughs> well, again, though, that, and, that, and that's where I think this film excels as well, though. That It does. It has those mm. moments where it faces up to This is where this film's so good. I mean, again, just to say, the big, the big black prisoner is a guy called uh, Tony Tiny Lister, um, uh, Tiny Lister, and he has appeared in a number of films. Everything from he was the president of Earth in Fifth Element, um, and in the uh, the late eighties, he was also a, a wrestler with Hulk Hogan called Zeus. So the man's been around for a while. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I love that moment when he does. He just chucks it out the window, and uh, again, it sort of shows up to you as the viewer. And it's a little heavy-handed at times, but these criminals are willing to say. No, well, look, we, we've learned from our time in prison. I'm not going to do it. And he throws it out the window. Yet you've got this dick on the other boat who's a bit like, look, they're all criminals and deserve to die. We don't deserve to die. And then, like you say, Megan, when he steps up to do it and he's like, well, all right, well, I'm not going to do it actually either. I haven't, <laughs> I, I haven't got, the, I haven't got the, the conviction, you know, the, the sort of the balls to carry through. Um, so that, and that's one of the fun things about this film is like, whilst you say the, the Joker is clearly the, the prominent villain, uh, it cl it keeps showing people up to be shits, really, um, <laughs> which is quite interesting. Um, what other things in this film then really is is um, to move away from the joke? I think we all agree that Heath Ledger's Joker is ace um, and and a clear highlight in the film. Um, there's more Batman in this film, but also like you say, Batman has inspired things. So you've seen that people in the city are now becoming dressing up as Batman and. It raises that question. What, what do you what do you thought of that? That opening scene where you see the guys dressing hockey pads, um, trying to take like, out the this like chubby middle aged man yeah. who's trying to be Batman. And I'm like, mate, you're gonna die. He does die. He's yeah, the, he's the one. I'm like, you're yeah. gonna you're gonna get yourself killed. Like you are not 
ripped enough or like <laughs> trained enough to be able to do this and why are you trying to take it into your own hands he's like well batman does it i'm like well, yeah. batman's had shit tons of training mate <laughs> <laughs> it's inspiring in certain ways i mean it, it is that sort of idea that it's batman was kind of meant to be a symbol and the whole the whole kind of double or double-sided coin if you want to be really tongue-in-cheek with this film is that <laughs> with batman the whole idea with him and rachel what i liked connecting with that is you know he's he wants the world he says he wants to to have a gotham that doesn't need a batman mm. but really and what she says i think it links into the start start of this is that he doesn't really want that he as kind of as alluded to in the other i think in the comics and the other films things like that it's kind of basically batman is the real person bruce wayne's the mask and that's mm. quite a common theme in batman and i think the starting scene shows that quite a lot because i'm not saying if i was in the position i would like be yeah thanks for helping me guys but it is that kind of way of he still thinks he's above everyone quite a lot yeah. and i'm not saying that's necessarily incorrect because he's you know very trained and all that sort of jazz but it is that sort of thing where he wants it all to himself in a sense and it kind of connects with the theme of that i think it opens up the theme to his whole conversations with rachel throughout the film which is she's saying i'll be with you and you stop being batman but that day's never really going to come and i think that first scene really shows that quite well i will say that the the story love story or lack of love story between Rachel and Batman or Bruce Wayne rather does irritate me slightly. Mm. I find Rachel very fickle. Like you can't turn around and be like, I'll be with you once you stop being Batman, but I'm literally in a relationship with this guy. And she and makes he's... out with both of them. As yeah. Well. She makes out with both of them. And yeah. Harvey Dent's like just proposed to her and she's like, Oh yeah. And then he's like, I don't trust Bruce Wayne. She's like, no, you got to trust him. And then she makes out with him. I'm like, well, no, he has every right not to trust him because <laughs> you just fucking cheated on him. <laughs> like... Yeah. Uh, this is one of the things I think that, um, I mean, this this film this film is written by men and directed by men, and I think one of the problems with the female characters throughout is they do feel like they're written by men. You know, oh, we've made this complex female character. Yeah, what you see as a, a complex female character, and sort of yeah. To be fair, as as a female, I have disliked the majority of the female characters in all of the Batman movies, mm. and it's not. Un, well it's the same in this film as well I find Rachel quite irritating and I, I really dislike the fact that she's kind of playing both sides with Harvey and Bruce Wayne it's like you pick one and she does in the end obviously she writes a letter and chooses someone but it's just like come on like you can't <laughs> you're essentially you're, yeah she's essentially leading both of them on at the same time yeah I, I think the problem is though it that with this film is they wanted to pick Rachel Dawes as a strong, independent woman. And she is in many cases, like she's a, you know, she's a, a, a competent, um, you know, district attorney or assistant to a district attorney. And she knows her own mind, but all this could have all been fixed with a single dialogue scene. <laughs> you know, if she has a conversation with Alfred at some point where she's literally just saying, look, I'm really, like, she leaves that letter and there's other stuff that Alfred reads you know, the thing about sort of like, you know, you are my best friend and, you know, I do love you that way, but I've decided I'm going to go with Harvey and stuff. And you go, okay, that makes sense. But if that was a dialogue scene where she handed that letter to, to Alfred, where she's like, look, I've been really torn up about this and could articulate it, then I'd probably a bit more like, yeah, people are complicated and it is yeah. difficult, but it, she never shows that. She just sort of goes, yeah, tonight, Harvey, tomorrow, Bruce. 
Yeah, <laughs> I agree. And also the fact that she wrote a letter. <laughs> also the fact that she wrote a letter makes her even more fickle to me because it's just kind of a cop out. It's a cop out, yeah. Yeah. She's not ballsy enough to be able to actually have that conversation. So she's like, I'm going to write a letter where I don't have to deal with confrontation. Here you go, Alfred, you deal with it. Yeah, yeah. You deal with the petulant man who knows multiple martial arts and runs around in a bat mask. (laughs) (laughs) And I think what you said, Scott, there actually works well is because if she had had, it almost feels like Chris Nolan um, or whomever came up with the idea, when they came up with the idea with the letter and obviously, you know, it says that she chooses Dent and then she dies and then Alfred burns the letter and then it comes out in Dark Knight Rises, he actually explains to um, Bruce. But really, it seems like you've just added a step for no reason. Why don't you just have Rachel tell Alfred all this sort of stuff? Exactly. And then then there's no letter to burn and then Alfred can just choose whether or not to tell Bruce. And then rather than it being like, what if she left you a letter that I burned? (laughs) Why don't you just say, she told me before she died, but I didn't want to tell you. Like, you've almost... Just overcomplicated unnecessarily to take away a little bit from the character, and I hadn't really thought about that. Also, the fact that he even burnt the letter, I feel like, is unnecessary. He could have just <laughs> hidden it in his room. But anywhere, Bruce Wayne doesn't look around anywhere, does he? he no, he yeah. just stays yeah. in one little area in the house. Yeah. He could have hidden it anywhere. <laughs> yeah, just left it on the kitchen. Bruce doesn't go to the kitchen. Let's be fair. He could have just left it on the cabinet, and it'd have been there for ages, and no one would have seen it. Um, but again, like, yeah, literally, a dialogue scene where she, she explain this to alfred and said look i'm going to be meeting with bruce on the you know in the next couple of days i will i will explain everything to him i need to talk to him face to face so you knew that was coming and if alfred knows that and he's like okay well i'll let you have that you know you have that conversation and then she's killed it does exactly the same thing where alfred's like oh shit now i've got the knowledge now do i share (laughs) that knowledge with bruce or not does the same without faffing around with this flaming letter um so yeah i i I agree i always i always struggle with that bit because it just feels a bit a bit of a cop-out but you know it's the kind of thing you did as a teenager weren't it sort of like you know you pass a letter through class i'm breaking up with you do you like me (laughs) tick yes if you like my face Um, (laughs) i do So, yeah, no, I agree with that. I think, but when she when she is killed, what were your thoughts when it's sort of down to her and Harvey, and they've got to do the rundown at that point? I thought it was clever how it panned out because mm. I I had seen this film before, but I'm so crap with movies. Like that's why you've seen Stars with me about four times. <laughs> <laughs> the only way you can remember any of the characters. <laughs> yeah, that's the reason why we've seen Stars so many times. Um, <laughs> I, it takes me a while to remember, so I completely forgot that she even died. So, mm-hmm. like, when it happened, I was like, she dead? And Mike was like, yeah, you just, the building just blew up, Megan. <laughs> She's dead. <laughs> so, like, I thought that the, the, like, how it happened was really smart. Because, obviously, when Batman then turns up and it's Dent, he's, like, so angry that they went yeah. and saved him. So I thought it was really, I, I liked it. I thought it was yeah. smart. And that's Joker playing them again, isn't it? Yeah. Because like, yes. one of the- and that's why, that's why if people are saying that he's just doing stuff, it's like, nah, it's all fucking tactical. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because he's, it's like when he's in that room, I know it's kind of back to Joker, but it links a bit, is that when, when he's in that room, and as you said earlier, where he's a master manipulator, and he's in that room, and obviously Batman's there, and Batman's just wailing on him, and he's just laughing, and he's like, you have nothing to trade with me. You have nothing yeah. you can possibly convince me with. And he just keeps wailing on him, and eventually he goes... I'm going to tell you. I'm not telling you because you beat me up. I'm going to tell you because I'm pl- basically playing a game with you. Mm. And obviously he specifically tells him 
the the wrong address yes because he knows and then the same sort of thing happens when there's that other cop that's in there um, oh yeah when, he eggs him on doesn't he yeah and he's egging him on to try and beat him up and it's like you were even like you're like that cop is an idiot like, yeah got- i was just like just ignore him just yeah. leave it just put it to one side let it go in one ear and out the other just yeah chill <laughs> but, but that that scene is in, with the harvey dent and rachel stuff that is you feel it. And when Batman yeah. he gets Harvey and both Batman and Harvey, you can feel how angry they both are because Harvey was ready to die and Batman just wanted to save Rachel. Mm. And they were both, and as they're coming out, and obviously Harvey gets um, the oil on him or chemicals or whatever, and then he gets set on fire and things. But it's like that whole scene, I think it's such a, the Two-Face character is a bit of a stretch, but I think that that moment, it it's probably as close as you could get to someone really flipping over the edge of literally you not you wanting your girlfriend or fiance or whatever to be saved. She doesn't get saved. You think it's because the police or whatever have chosen you over her because they view you as more important or something like that. While also the Batman that makes everything more complicated and you get burned. I just think that the emotion, I think, for, for, for a film that is... I, I don't like calling it a superhero film because I just feel like it's got so much more weight than most mm. superhero films. You know, aside from probably Infinity War and Endgame and maybe uh, maybe one of the Captain America ones, the MCU and stuff, and even the, some of the DC movies, they're fun, they're cool, you watch them, but there's not really emotional weight. There's always one of those cop-out moments where either the main character or the partner seems like they're going to die and they don't from a kiss or magic or some crap <laughs> like that. But there's never really... You never watch a superhero film and there's no there's no real emotional weight most of the time. Um, but in this film, from that, you just go, oof. Like, you're watching it and you're like, oh. You, you feel it. You go, oh, that is horrendous. What an awful situation to be in, being either Batman or Dent in that. So I, I love that scene. It's one of my probably... It, it, obviously, it connects with the Joker's genius plan, but it's one of my favourite... Sadistically, it's one of my favourite parts of the film. Scene. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's so good, that whole section. Um, and again, this comes down to a great script and the way it's directed. I think this is them taking it to, to its almost inevitable conclusion, you know, with these things. Um, but like I say, that Joker, you know, he gives him that address, fully knowing exactly what's going on. Like, you know, he knows mm-hmm. that Harvey and Batman have been working together. And so, like, like you sort of said that, to, so when Harvey's pulled out by Batman, he he believes that Batman's made a choice to save him mm. rather than you know the White Knight sort of thing has been saved rather than Rachel, and so it grows that bitterness that then the Joker can then chip away at that little bit more. Um, yeah, but the fact it's then paralleled with all the stuff that's going on in the in the police station where he sort of says, "I just want my phone call." Like he takes the copper and he's like, "I just want my phone call," and they're like. Oh, just give him the bloody phone and the phone just happens to be then be uh, a detonator to the mobile phone in that guy's stomach um it, it just plays out like so well it's just yeah it's, it's a really fantastic section of the film um yeah. and one thing i want to add as well i'm trying not to talk too much about joker one little thing i loved <laughs> is when he does the whole tryouts thing and you've got those people and because you know he first comes into it and he's got the the grenades in his jacket so he knows that the mob people won't kill him and then I can't, I don't know what his name is, but it's basically one of the black mob bosses. And he's like, I'm going to get, Gamble, I'm gonna get yeah. my boys on you and stuff. And then the, the two sort of young thugs basically take the body of the Joker in. Mm. Obviously, and he kills that guy. And then there's a three guys on the floor and he's like, We've, we're doing tryouts. We've only got one space. And then he just snaps a pork you chucks oh, on yeah. the floor. And you're like, Jesus. Yeah. That, that little thing, I just thought that's a really cool moment as well. But it's, it's little things, though, again, because I do like that moment. But it's, all, it's also the last line he says, he says before that room. He sort of pauses and says, 
makes it make it quick. Yeah, <laughs> he's like, I'm, not, I'm not messing around. Just hurry up. And so he is. He's brutal. Um, one of my favourite things in this film. I just want to go back to. We talked about the. We sort of talked about the sort of uh, chase scene in the first film. You know, where it goes across this, the uh, rooftops and on the freeway and that sort of thing. But the the lorry when they're attacking, uh, you have the guy. You have, you have the the um, Harvey in the back of the tr- police truck, hmm. and the police. Um, you know, all the police cars and stuff about to take him somewhere because he's, he's claimed to be Batman, mm-hmm. uh, which is something we sort of, you know, we see in this film. And then the Joker attacks on the lorry. Um, that whole sequence, and then, you know, obviously Batman turns up on the tumbler and then the tumbler gets fucked up and becomes the bat pod, which is another great little um, vehicle. The bike thing. Yeah. yeah. But one of no, my favorite it... things I'd never noticed before in this is the, the lorry that they're driving is a circus truck. Mm. And it says on the side of it, laughter is the best medicine. But then in red paint, they've put a big slaughter. Slaughter yeah. is the best medicine. Oh, I, I love like, it. I hadn't noticed it before. I was like, that's really cool. So, I think you pointed that out, didn't you? Yeah, it's one of my it's one of my favorite things of wordplay. I just I remember when I first saw that film, I was like, that is. They don't make a big fuss about you know if that was if that was the so Burton verse ones or something like that, or maybe even if it was the Schumacher ones, there'd be a whole scene about him pointing at it <laughs> and going, do you get it? Do you get it? Yeah. That, you, don't even, you don't even notice it half the time. Yeah. Oh, no, I agree. I totally, that, yeah, if that had been one of those previous directors, that would have been the opening shot. You'd have panned <laughs> that for a good 15 seconds to just to hammer home, like, look what we figured out. Um, <laughs> Yeah, but that I, scene is incredible. It is. It's incredible. Like you say, the whole thing of you know the, the chase and and I, I kind of love the fact that Batman's clearly a little bit pissed about the whole thing and he's not so bothered about sort of destroying police property. He's like, police guys, screw them, um, and just he does destroy them. a lot of it. Well, and the, the normal cars as well, doesn't he? he just yeah. I I think I wrote down one of my notes is Batman hates public property. <laughs> so just because Bruce Wayne's a billionaire doesn't mean he likes to just like in the first scene when he the first film when he does the jumping and I thought God he destroyed a lot of those roof tiles hasn't he? It's because I'm working in insurance for too long now because I'm sad. <laughs> and then I see the car thing and I'm like God if that was an insurance claim you get the Batmobile just or Bat Tank or whatever you want to call it destroying twenty vehicles of missiles because he's chasing down the Joker. You're thinking. If you woke up the next day and that was your car, you'd have no claim. <laughs> you can't claim against anyone. You wouldn't know who it is. And I was yeah. like, but that scene is bloody brilliant. It, I absolutely love it. It's one of my favourite scenes. However, it does. Have, there are two things I realised watching it this time that, that made me sort of stop and go, ah. Oh. The first one was the property damage where like he's going, because it's, it's all underground, isn't it? And he's like hmm. blowing up concrete and all this other stuff. And I'm like, that's going to cost the city a fortune to replace mm. all that. But the other one is, you know, when he, he, it changes into the bat pod, uh, into the, the bike, and he's got the guns on the front. He starts blowing up cars that are in his way because he has to get yeah. chasing after the lorry. And those two little kids sat in the back of a, a car and they're pretending to shoot and all some stuff blows up. And then it struck me because he's blown up these cars and they're sat there. And I'm like, yeah. How did Batman know that those other cars were empty? <laughs> yeah, that's the thing is that Batman's like so against killing. Yeah, he's just like, Pew, 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 yeah, yeah. destroy yeah. all of these cars. Against guns, unless it's on my bike. <laughs> if it's a bike gun, then I'm happy with it. Uh, Wanton destruction, woohoo! <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, that whole that whole scene, I, I do mention the property damage thing, and this time around I did. I think it's just because since watching it the last time, I'm a little bit, unfortunately, older and more boring. Mm. So I just say, oh, property damage, that's sad to me. Um, but with, um, with the whole scene, I, one of the things I love most about it there's one part I love and one part I don't love. The part I don't love is the SWAT team guy who has this running commentary. And I don't 
mind it. it it feels a little bit out of place but at one point he goes i didn't sign up for this and it's like you're a swat guy this is <laughs> yeah. you signed up for this, what this are you talking about yeah, this is literally what you signed up for yeah it's like this yeah, mike, thing mike was to. irate about just, that bit i forgot about it and he was like so i'm sorry and i was like get out of here you twat you've literally yeah. gone for one of the most dangerous yeah. parts of like police enforcement so you law know, enforcement you know what gotham's like what are you playing at <laughs> but, um aside from that one of my favorite parts of the whole chase scene is when the Joker's shooting RPGs at, at the vehicles and he uses the, the jump part of the tumbler, the mm. back tank, to, uh, to make the jump in the way of the RPG thing. But it, and it, the tank, the, uh, the back tank is, it's da- damaged. It does actually have to self-destruct and things. But I like the fact that it's not, I didn't want him to be hit by a rocket launcher and he'd be completely fine because mm. then you're just like, oh, come on. Like point blank range with an RPG, that is going to do some damage. But I like the fact that it had enough kind of juice in it to keep going a little bit. And then obviously because of the, um, the bat bike, what did you say it was called? The bat, uh, pod. The bat pod. Yeah. Yeah. When it turned into that, I, I remember really liking that scene. And I think you made some sort of noise. You're yes. like, Oh, chunky wheels. Don't it? Yeah. yeah. It just so sleek and cool and efficient. It, it, it's one of those design ideas where, yeah, Lucius Fox is a genius, but more so the, the people who made this film. Like, of all the cheesiness of the Batcopter and all the other sort of nonsense that <laughs> Adam West Batman's got, and you go, that design is not only really clever, but it's so practical. Mm. And it just, then the whole chase scene, even though it's got quite a few more minutes left of it, it has like a, uh, like a fresh coat of paint almost, yes. rather than just being this giant vehicle chasing the whole time. Yes, no, I agree with that. I mean, that's the thing with this film. This film is two and a half hours long, but it never mm. it never feels long like you know it, it, you, I, yeah. I don't feel the time and so there's things like that the, the car chase and, and other scenes where I'm like yeah this film just keeps going like you know and, and I'm really glad it does because yeah. um, uh, like you yeah. say it, I think it, the balance it's got a really oh, go on. yeah the balance between the, the sort of the talking parts and the uh, the action parts I agree with that. I think that they've got the balance on that dead right, and I don't think they got the balance quite as right in the sequel. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I mean, again, you talk about the humour as well. Like, you know, this film, it's not funny by any chance. Like, they don't stop for jokes, but they've maintained that humour. Like, you know, um, um, Alfred's still sarcastic, so is Lucius Fox, and they still have these little moments where, like, the guy who's trying to, is going to blackmail Bruce Wayne uh, to, you know, he's going to blackmail. You know, he's going to reveal Batman's identity. And so the Joker says, "Well, I don't, I don't want to know who he is. So I'm going to kill him. Let's kill this guy. Or, or yeah. someone, can someone kill him?" And then Bruce Wayne has to take out the Lamborghini and um, uh, pl- drives it into the side of the truck and saves his life. And then he's like, you know, um, he says, "Oh, Bruce Wayne." He says to Bruce, "Oh, he says, Mr. Wayne, you, you, you know, you're a hero." And he says, "What for trying to trying to jump the lights?" <laughs> <laughs> you don't know what you've done. He's like, no, what, what do they do? And it's like, obviously he knows what he's done, but the way it's played is, is not. But even before that, when Bruce is like, um, um, I, I need to go out, you know, w- w- I want to take the car. He's like, well, then Alfred's like, the, the tumbler. He's like, no, no, I'll take the Lamborghini. Like, he's like, oh, yes, that's much less conspicuous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I also like, I think it's just the extremeness of certain scenes as well. Like, obviously when the Joker's walking and the hospital blows up behind him. Mm. That isn't a, <laughs> that's so funny. Mm. It's not like a super funny moment, but it makes me laugh just because of how excessive it is. Yeah. Well, uh, that's one of those moments. It is a bit of behind the scenes, not a thing for it. That's a legit hospital that we're going to demolish. Um, and so they, they 
they when they were filming in Chicago and stuff, and just fortuitous, they were like, "Oh, we're demolishing this building. Do you want it for the film?" And they were like, "Oh, oh wow, we, we cool. do." So they actually get to demolish it for the film. That's cool. But that scene when it doesn't go off and Joker stops and you know shakes the detonator and all that sort of stuff was completely ad libbed because the detonators didn't go off. Um, oh. And so and that's what, so when and when the um, Heath Ledger jumps and runs off shot, that's all legit. oh that's amazing yeah so originally it was supposed to press it and just have him sort of like you know doing his sort of charlie chaplin walk out shot and then it happened and they were like there you go perfect it's just sort of fortuitous that it worked out as as it needed to really Mm. that's cool it is cool. I like it when you hear things like that. Like you get it with, um, I think it's DiCaprio and Django Unchained, where he yeah. breaks a glass at one point and he cuts his hand and he doesn't break character. Yeah. And then afterwards, people are like, "You all right?" And he was like, "Oh yeah." Whoops. Yeah. There's something like that as well. Where I think I can't remember what film it is, but I when I went to America, I went to the Warner Brothers Studio tour, mm. and I think it is a superhero film of some description. And one of the actors kicked this rock thinking that it was... Oh, it's Lord of the Rings. Is it Lord of the Rings? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Aragorn so, kicks yeah they kick a rock oh. because they think it's, it's one of those head. like lightweight things. Yeah. But actually, it's this like his a rock and he broke his foot or his toe or something. And so all of the pain that he has yeah. is real. Isn't that in the film when they think they think the, the, the hobbits have been kidnapped and he kicks something and he just goes... And apparently the, the roar was it him in pain. But yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He kicks some sort of corpse and he breaks his toe yeah. or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I only heard about that a couple of weeks ago, oddly enough. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I heard about it on Reddit or something. Um, uh, but yeah, because anyway, sorry. <laughs> well, yeah, to talk about being in pain, one of the characters we I just want to sort of touch on before we finish is we've talked about Harvey Dent as the white knight, you know, as being the, the good Harvey. But the depiction of, of Two Face in this um, is pretty brutal. Like we've had purple-faced, you know, uh, Joker <laughs> wannabe Tommy Lee Jones. And then you get, you know, Erin Akar in this one. What, what, do you, what do you think of the way they depict Two-Face in this one? I much prefer it to the other one. Like, mm. it, it has reason as to why he's like that. Whereas in the other one, the guy was just mental for, <laughs> yeah. for no real reason. He was just trying to outdo the other actor. Whereas, like, in this film, like, there's actual, like, valid reason as to why he's like that. Um, and I think it just adds a bit more depth to the character because he's not insane. He's really smart. He's just really goddamn angry and he has every right to be angry. Mm. Lost almost, isn't he? Yeah, he's yeah, he's lost. He's lost like literally everything that he cares about. So, Yeah, I think obviously one part of it is the special effects is absolutely insane. When yeah, you get good. that reveal... It's like bulgy eye. <laughs> yeah, yeah. When you get that reveal and he turns, it's like, oof, that's rough. But I, I feel like because I, I said to you when we were watching it, Megan, it was like, the thing is what I think we touched upon it and you mentioned it when we were, uh, did the, the previous one, which was the whole Tommy Lee Jones two-face doesn't work because he wants to kill that person. He just keeps flipping the coin. Yeah. yeah. Just like, that doesn't make any sense. Why even have the coin? Just shoot them. Whereas in this one, the, the one of the best lines is when he's in uh, with Maroney, I think it is, the, um, the one of the mob bosses, and he flips the coin and he goes, uh, oh, you're lucky. And then he flips and he goes, who's that for? He says, your driver and then he shoots the driver and then yeah. the whole car flips and i was like that's that's genius that that's the kind of thing because two-face doesn't actually care if he mm. lives or dies anymore so his whole thing is just kind of going around and doing his warped version of sort of uh fair chaos and i think that the way he does it that he does flip a coin and the, obviously the brilliant part is that when he's harvey dent and he's trying to torture that uh, that guy at the shooting of um jim gordon sort of after the rally and he's flipping the coin. He's like, if you get tails, I'll kill you or whatever. But it's a double-headed coin. 
And so that's very clever. And then when obviously it gets burnt, that mm. shows a very good imagery of his actual outlook on life, you know, being a bit of a trickster, but good on both sides. It actually shows no. The, the side of him that was burnt is basically part of him that actually died. And yeah. then he does continue throughout the film. And God, that ending with, with, with Jim Gordon's son and stuff, that's the bit where you're oh, just yeah, like, it's intense. Oof. Yeah, and uh, that's what I mean. Because again, we had that sort of like the ending of the first film was all a bit. I don't know. They say the third act. It gets into a bit that fancy. It falls into superhero tropes, really, doesn't the first film? This one doesn't. Like this one doesn't want to go near that. Uh, You know, this film really gets. You've had the big fight with the Joker, and then it comes down to this sort of like you say this really small, intense scene where he's like, you know, he's gonna do the like kill the kid sort of thing. Um, I think when you said like he's lost is a really good description like you know he, everything is gone and he's, he's no longer the harvey that we knew um is uh yeah it's, it's a really good point but it's, it's, it's a really good ending and i love the fact that, what do you make about the decision then that, that batman makes to, to take on the um not the guilt i suppose but to take on the the mantle of the killer that you know ha- take on the crimes that harvey had committed I enjoyed it. I, I liked but, it as well. well. You go you go first. I just feel like it kind of was like a necessary thing because by the same token of, of Harvey Dent being lost, I think Batman was also semi-lost as well because he also lost Rachel. So he kind of doesn't really know what to do. Because I think in the film, he was kind of coming to terms with the fact that he would be able to give up Batman and he'd be able to, to be with Rachel. But then it all got taken away from him. And then the ultimate decision was for him to essentially do the right thing isn't it because like well, i mean yeah. what is it like gordon says that the city like it needs hope or something mm. or bruce wayne says or someone says that at some point mm. and what they need is is they need a hero to like look up to so i i think i i i liked it i i liked it at the end of this film i didn't like it as much in rises uh, because i feel like the whole when they try and rationalize it at the end of dark knight they basically said he's a symbol blah 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 and i was okay that all makes sense that works but then in Dark Knight Rises, when they start to go, oh, we need him for the Dent Act and all this other stuff, I'm like, yeah, I don't understand why him yeah. being dead or alive. And you asked me that, I think we were watching it. And I was like, I don't really know. I was like, him, I, I didn't fully understand that. Maybe we'll get onto that in a sec. But I, I feel it isolated in this film. I think it does, it mirrors the film brilliantly, as mm. in the, the feel of the film, where it's like, it's kind of bit, it's bittersweet, isn't it? It's like, you know, yeah, Batman beat the Joker, yay, but loads of people died, and Rachel yeah. died, and he's kind of at a loss, and Harvey Dent's gone, and it's like, yeah, you've won the battle, or rather you've won the war, but the casualties you've lost in the battles um, are huge, and I, I think that it does end well. I like the whole, you know, where I think uh, Gordon's talking at the um, uh, the wake, whatever it is, at Harvey Dent's funeral or something, and he's basically talking with the symbol behind with Harvey Dent's face behind him and he said you know mm. he was the hero that we uh, it's, it's the whole Batman line is I always forget what it is he's the hero that we didn't deserve but we needed or something like that um, yeah yeah and, I, that, I, and that's I really it and I agree I mean the film in that sense just to, to round this out really is I, I love the fact that it does it does have that mirroring that you say like the film starts with Batman clearly inspiring other people to try and take up the mantle of Batman like mm. you know like, as he said so, you know when that guy in the hockey pad says why can't why shouldn't we do it he's like you know you know why are you better than us he's like well i'm not wearing hockey pads you know so <laughs> he there's that realization at the start of this film that i'm not being the influence i wanted to be you know mm-hmm. i think becoming batman's inspired the wrong kind of thing um 
And so he sees that escape in, in Harvey Dent. And so for the Joker, I mean, technically, in many ways, the Joker wins. Yeah. Because he proves his point. You know, the Joker in this win, it says, oh, you know, the people on the boat, the boat don't kill each other. But he's like, look, well, I've taken enough away from Harvey and I've nudged him over the edge. Look, I've taken the one, you know, your white knight and I've twisted him and turned him into a villain now. Like, the guy's going around killing people to the extent that he's willing to kill a child to prove his point or mm. to, to get his vengeance. Um, and so, like you say, it's... It, the end of this film is, is Batman trying to course correct, isn't it? Really, it's like, look, the city can't know this is what Harvey did because it will lose hope because it will show that the Joker's right and people can't can't believe that. Mm. Um, and so I, I do like that that this film ends with him. If this if this series had ended with this, it'd have been disappointing. But if it, you know, I'd have still been happy and satisfied that, yeah, that's fine with me. That you know, this is the way they wanted to take Gotham City. Um, mm. But yeah. I do. I, I agree with what you said. Though. This is easily one of the best films. It's one of my favorite films of all time. Same. Yeah. I. Th- I think this is like I like a lot of Chris Nolan work. You know, I like Memento and I like Interstellar and stuff like that. And in a, in a slightly different way, like I think Interstellar is probably one of the best films ever made in almost an objective sense. But it's not one of my favorites. In a, <laughs> if you know what I mean, because it's got cinematography and a lot of aspects of it are so on point. It's just quite long and there's a bit too much of stuff in it whereas with this film i just think not if anyone's listening and they do hate this film okay i don't mean to offend you but i just feel like if anyone truly hates this film i'm just like i don't really understand what you're looking for like it doesn't have yeah. to be a film. it doesn't even have to be your favorite batman film but if you i don't understand how anyone could watch this and not go this is just brilliant in yeah. a layer of a batman film and a super it feels like it just hit everything that people wanted and more. I mean, how do you make a sequel to a Batman film like Batman Begins? Keep it gritty while trying to keep the comic book fans happy, while trying to allow it for an audience. And like I, when I saw Dark Knight, and I'm sure a fair amount of people who saw it like I did, hadn't seen Batman Begins because they weren't mm. that interested by Batman enough to go into a film like Batman Begins. And I just think there's, I, I don't think we'll get a superhero film this good again. I hope the 2022 Batman will be but I have a feeling I'm going to be disappointed. Yeah, <laughs> I don't it's want to be. I mean, yeah. let, let's admit it. The Dark Knight is the Terminator 2, the Terminator 2 of superhero films, isn't it, really? Yeah. You know, yeah. Taking, a, taking a good film and then upping it for the sequel, and you're like, oh, no, now it's a masterpiece. Yeah. Um, okay, we, you've mentioned Interstellar, and there is a person in Interstellar that... I mean, one day we may discuss Interstellar, and my opinions on that film is not being a masterpiece. Um, <laughs> per- I, I would be more inclined to agree with you. <laughs> um, there is an actress in uh, Interstellar who we are going to talk about, uh, Anne Hathaway. And I, again, I have mixed feelings about Anne Hathaway in that sometimes I think she's really good. Like she does films and I think she's fantastic. I think she's a very committed actress. I think she can do some really good stuff. And then there's other times I see it and I'm like, what did you, what the, what, what the fuck did you get out of bed for this morning? Like, why have you done this? It's <laughs> yes. awful. Um, to be fair, I kind of feel the same way about Anne Hathaway as well. Yeah, she confuses me. Like, it's, what, it's how I feel about Anne Hathaway. Um, however, I kind of like her in this film. Uh, I think she's actually quite good in this. So she redeems stuff for this. But So Dark Knight Rises came to uh, 2012. And um, it's set eight years after the events of The Dark Knight. And... Bruce has just been brooding for that time. And it's, it, it's a bit unclear, like, how long did Batman continue to be Batman after the events of The Dark Knight, uh, you know, and then stop? 
but this film caused some real controversy because obviously in the comics, Batman's a dedicated nutcase who will not give up for anything. Mm. Um, but in this, the depiction is Bruce Wayne literally quit being the Batman after about four years. Um, uh, you know, so I, I, what, are you, what are your thoughts on that? This idea that he quit being Batman for uh, that long? It just, I just find it weird that he's just cooped up, like, from what it, from what it seems in the film, because obviously, I'm not very, as I've said, I'm not very good at remembering movies. So, like, it's, it's the first time that we see Bruce Wayne when, when, like, well, it's not, it's Catwoman, but mm. it's not Catwoman. It's Catwoman mm. when she's not Catwoman, isn't it? Is when she's in that room. Is that the first time that we see Bruce Wayne? When so. she steals yes. the pearls. She steals the pearls. Yeah. yeah. So he's just been cooped up in this area of the house, like locked in. Because mm. <laughs> Alfred's like, you take the key, you open the door, you leave the food, you lock the door, and you leave. I'm like, so you're you're locking him in a wing of the house, like yeah. Yeah. that's so weird. Why are you <laughs> locking him in? <laughs> I assumed it's a good point. I always assumed he had his own key. But yeah, it may be that Alfred's just like, no, no, he smells really bad right now. <laughs> you just keep him locked up and he's happy, you know. Yeah. I, I, had, we, I have, I think I have the mixed feelings as well with Dark Knight Rises. When, when I first watched it initially, I enjoyed it more than I did this time. And I just think, because this, I've seen it two or three times. I think it's the third time, whereas Dark Knight mm. I've watched about eight or nine times, I think. And it, there are moments in this film. I think I think this is one of those weird cases where the middle is probably the strongest part of this film, mm. which is normally I find, especially with superhero films, the middle is normally the weakest because you've got where it lags. Yeah. Whereas in this, it's the opposite. I just think the start doesn't really make a huge amount of sense. As you said, like Batman's doing basically nothing for eight years, and you're like, or seven years or however long it is, and you're like, okay, so what's he been doing in all this time? Like, just living in his manner, doing actually nothing. Yeah. He still looks thin, so he hasn't gained loads of weight, which makes no sense. But also, he's got a really bad leg from an unexplained injury, unless I missed something. Well, which... no, the injuries, the injury, this is, and this is the interesting bit, and this is a, a good point, really, is, because when he goes to the doctors later on, when he does his, um, he, you know, he basically goes to scare the crap out of um, Commissioner Gordon in a balaclava, <laughs> Um, the doctor says to him, he says, oh, I've seen worse cartilage, but only because you have got no cartilage. So basically all that jumping around and, you know, um, all, the, all the stunts he did as Batman have basically just knackered his knees and his shoulders and his elbows. So he didn't, you know, really bad way, which seems to go, never gets mentioned again. He, he gets basically one leg brace and that's it. Then he's like, yeah, now I'm badass again. Like, yeah, oh. I'm, yeah, that bit I was like, he gets a leg brace and then he manages to kick a wall and yeah. destroy the bricks. And I'm like, you're just wearing shoes. Yeah. Like, yeah, that would he really wasn't hurt. even wearing, any, yeah, he'd break his ankle for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I stub my toe in my trainers and I'm like, I cry. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) I've broken my ankle three times, okay? And two of those times is literally me just walking from A to B and I've suddenly just fallen to the ground. So the fact that he's kicked a wall and has done done no damage is baffling to me. But whatever. Yeah, the start was... It was just one of the things. It's like... And and as you say, until recently, I didn't read much of the Batman material outside the comics, but it was just like... From all from the first two films, you got that impression that Batman. The whole thing with the second film was the whole: is Batman is Bruce Wayne ever going to give up being Batman? Mm. And then it's like, 
what he does. He just mopes about. And you're like, what? You've got yeah. all the money in the world. You could be, like, not to be a dick about this, right? If I was in his position and I was in sort of uh, sorrow and stuff, I would probably just do what he does when he's Bruce Wayne, which is go around, sleep with loads of supermodels, travel the world and spend loads of money. But he's like... Brooding yeah, in a locked wing of the house. But he locks himself in that wing of the house. He does nothing. He somehow doesn't gain any weight. But also, there's that whole thing of... Um, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, let's just call him Robin or whatever, he basically mm. comes in and he says, oh yeah, some of the money stopped to the orphanage or whatever like that. And you're just thinking, well, so you've also, either the company's just gone autonomously and is doing its own thing. There's that whole weird thing where he talks to Lucius and it's like, the company isn't really making much money either. And that kind of gets glazed over too. And you're like, if Bruce Wayne's at the helm and he doesn't do anything, surely There'd Lucius be would be. That would be doing it, well, yeah. Lucius in Lucius Batman begins. The company. Yeah, Lucius yeah. runs the company on behalf of Bruce. Bruce is like the major shareholder. Yeah. Um, but this whole thing about the, the money is like uh, Bruce has forced them to move all of their R&D budget into this cold fusion energy device that basically doesn't work. So he's gone, I've sunk all this money into it and I've stopped because it can actually, we found out that it can be uh, turned into a nuclear weapon. Hmm. And I, I'm, you know, I'm a project manager. I've worked on the deployment, the creation and deployment of IT systems. You don't get to the end of a build and then realize things work in a specific way. That's what design <laughs> stages are for. <laughs> like someone's drawn a, someone has drawn this up from the chemical compo components to the to the mechanical components and would have gone to Bruce Wayne and gone, do you know what would happen if this was built? It becomes a bomb. <laughs> and he could have just gone, Yeah, you're right, don't build it. Waste of time. <laughs> <laughs> like it's really bad planning that they've got to the end and then someone's gone. This becomes a nuclear weapon. He's like, why didn't anyone say? Like, <laughs> we could have solved this problem months ago. It, it's all a bit silly. This whole thing with, and that's the the one thing I have with this film is there's a little bit of too much. The silliness starts to creep in. You know mm. that sort of shoehorning in things to just make the plot work. Uh, and that's the problem I have with this film. I love this. One. I actually really enjoy it, but there's a bit too much silliness. It's um, also the fact that like Bruce Wayne suddenly comes out of his like little weird hiding yeah. hole because someone stole some pearls from him like yeah. he starts doing like the stuff on the safe and alfred comes in he's like what you doing master wayne yeah. <laughs> he's like oh, i'm checking for prints <laughs> and then obviously she's stolen his his fingerprints so he wants to find out why so it kind of gets him in, like investigating again and here's one thing, just quickly, I, I realised. So, once again, I think it's Chris Nolan trying to be too clever, which is with the whole letter thing. Why didn't they just do it? The Batman, when he tackled Harvey Dent off the building, why wasn't there just some sort of throwaway line that said, he landed on his knee, he basically shattered his kneecap. The only mm. reason he could even run away was because of adrenaline in the bat suit. As soon as he got out of the bat suit, his, his knee was shattered, it, and it's never been the same again. And that could have easily... If they just said that, I'd have gone, okay, that makes also, sense. Also, it's been eight years. Why hasn't he been to the doctors before? If he's got such yeah. a bad leg, why has he waited eight years to go money. to the doctor with all the money in the world that he could literally go and be like, what's wrong with money? He didn't get a doctor to go to him. Like, he's got enough money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He doesn't even <laughs> have to go to the hospital. I'm, I'll be perfect here. Yeah. I'm one of those men. I don't like going to the doctors. <laughs> I just, yeah. just, just put a plaster on it and then pretend it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> That's about it. Um, you're right, though. I mean, some of the... Some of the I, I watched this film last night and I watched it all the way through and I actually, you know, again, it's got really good pace. It's got, you know, it escalates. I mean, like you say, this film starts with a robbery, a small burglary, and then escalates to basically the, the occupation of a city, you know, like, like you mm. know, Chicago, which is huge. 
and I find that I like those those bits in it. But then like, when it has things like this bloody cold fusion bomb, that's uh, you know you're thinking like, well, why would you even build this? It's ridiculous. And then Blake as well, the Joseph Gordon-Levitt character, when he basically turns up, he's like, I've got to speak to Bruce Wayne. And then and, and Alfred's like, why? He's like, I know he's basically, basically say, I know he's Batman. <laughs> you know, he, and he visits him and he's like, well, how did you figure it out? And you get this whole anecdote about how when he was a kid, he saw this thing, you know, I saw that look on your face of having to fake a smile. And you're like, he may, you know, I'm thinking he may not be Batman. He may have, you know, have you not seen his other film, American Psycho? Um, he may just be a psychopath, you know. <laughs> but also, there's so many people in the world that like, or there's going to be loads of people in Gotham that have such like skeletons in their closet. Does that yeah. mean he's going to look at everyone and be like, "You're Batman, and you're Batman, and yeah. you're Batman"? <laughs> he should have just said, "Jenny." He was like, "Well, I've realised that Batman. I've looked into it a bit more. The R and D stuff that it would cost to fuel everything I've seen of Batman in the news, including the Bat Tank and the Bat Outfit, would be this amount of money. There's only ten people in the whole of Gotham who could possibly earn this, and there's only fifty yeah. people in the next like four hundred mile radius who could possibly do that. Oh, and also, I've noticed that Bruce Wayne mysteriously goes on business trips <laughs> whenever yeah. there's a big baddie in the thing. It's like if they said that you'd go you know what you're a pretty good detective but i saw your smile it's like what yeah i hate if exactly if it is said when i was a kid i saw that smile i it it stirred something in me i had my suspicions and for years i've been doing these investigations he's a policeman so like i've been doing these investigations on the side and i figured it out yeah brilliant that shows he's a good detective he's committed and all this other stuff not that basically he's creepy and just stares at people's smiles. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, again, some of the characters in this, it, 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 it's like Bane in this mm. film. I, I, I like Tom Hardy. Again, he's one of those actors that I really like and he does interesting things. Um, and he, I like, sometimes I like Bane on screen. And then there's other scenes when you're a bit like, I, I don't know what you're doing. Like, why have you made <laughs> those choices? Um, and it's little things again, like, you know, the, the whole opening scene like makes Bane look like a badass. You know, they mm. take on that, that plane and then they destroy the plane. It's all that to get, it's all of it just to get Dr. Pavel uh, and to, to get some information from the CIA. And it's, it's really cool. Like it's a really impressive scene filmed really well. You think, oh yeah, Bane's a real, you know, you're thinking not so much maybe the Joker, but, he's a strategist he's a you know i can see why he runs this terrorist organization and then but then when he takes over gotham city he basically just becomes like a ponzi prat like you know that bit where he's outside blackgate prison he starts reading that letter um and it's good and yes you've got that weird masky voice which has been probably impersonated millions of times now and i'm not going to do it here you you too may if you wish um (laughs) but he reads this letter and he sort of talks about this is um I'm going to give the city back to you, the people. And he does his little head bobble. And it's, it's, <laughs> and it, it just sort of like the way he does it, it. It just, I don't know why, but it's really distracting. I uh, found, I found his accent quite distracting. There were points where, cause I, I, I remember saying to you, Mike, and being like, cause I don't know anything about Tom Hardy. Like is he's one of those actors that I've heard his name lots of times, mm. but I don't think I've actually seen that many films with him in. And I was like, is he British? Because his <laughs> accent's really confusing me. Yeah. It travels, doesn't it, that accent? Yeah. Like, it's a little <laughs> bit of everything, you know. <laughs> yeah. Um, the, other thing, the other thing is, he is, he is British and he, he is very good. There's, there's a film called Bronson, which is one of his first oh, films. Brilliant. 
which is absolutely yeah, is absolutely phenomenal. And he's really good in a film called Legend as well, where he plays both the Crow both. twins. That's yes. why I know of him because I remember being at uni and the cinema at uni was playing that film, so I saw the advert quite a lot when mm. I was walking to my that, classes. And also the other film I've seen him in that he's really good is, Le- is Lawless. La- yes. Lawless, uh, Legend, and he's actually surprisingly brilliant in Revenant and I think Revenant is quite an mm. overrated film that's quite bland in places but he's a standout and I just think whenever I see Tom Hardy in most things he is he's one of my favourite actors I'd say because mm. I haven't really seen him do necessarily a bad role but I've only seen like his greatest hits so yeah. <laughs> no, I, I think he can do great and I think again in this there's that little bit thing of like like Tom you're playing a villain you're playing a Batman villain and so it's almost like there's 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 an almost like a desire to go a little bit panto at times. Yeah. And they haven't really done that in this series. They've held back. And I feel that Tom Hardy's the first one to go a little bit camp. Mm. And it's not always terrible, but there are other times when I'm like, oh, you, you don't need to go that arch to do this. It looks fine. Because um, there's other bits. Like when they take over the, uh, the Wall Street, uh, was it the Stock Exchange? And he walks in and the guy's sort of like, you know, he's got his hacker there tapping away on the laptop and he's looking around and he, he just sort of nods at this guy who sat there looking terrified. He's like, all right. <laughs> and that, that to me, I'm like, that's cool. That, that's interesting like, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a choice. Like he just chooses to nod at this guy in, in acknowledgement. And you're like, oh, right, that's interesting. And then like, they go off and do other things. It's just like, oh, I don't know. It's, it, it, he's, and that's the, it's the same with, um, what's her face, Anna, Anna Hathaway's Catwoman. Mm. it's up and down it's up and down like the scenes where she's brilliant the bit where she goes to deliver the fingerprints and she's tricked the um whatever the guy is who's ever like that one of the chief of police or something like that to go in with her you know and he's been shot in the leg and stuff and he's sort of in a dozy no, the, state the congressman that's it yeah the congressman and so she's using him as a sort of a bit of a ploy and then when the police break in and she starts playing like she's hysterical and stuff and then sort of manages to get out of there like that whole bit is brilliant like she is brilliant in that scene and then later on for some reason she starts to go a little bit the, the camp seems to creep in towards the end of the film and i'm like oh it, it's you know it's 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 too it's a little bit too much at times yeah the thing that annoyed me is is what mike mentioned earlier i can't remember if it was before we started recording or not it's just that everyone knows how to use all the future tech stuff which <laughs> yeah. really irritated me so like Batman's obviously got that like bike. Was it pod? Is that what the mm, bat pod? Yeah. So the bat pod, and then suddenly she knows how to how to ride it. I'm like, no, yeah. no, yeah. you would need to learn. Like, I'm sorry, you'd at least have one go at it and be like, oh right, there, that's how you do it. But she just gets on and she's like, broom broom, off I go. Tries to explain to her, she's like, I know what I'm doing, but like something, she says something like that, or like, oh, I get it. Like, and you're just like, it's I like, know, that's not realistic. Like, even if it was exactly the same as a motorbike, which I'm sure it's not, but even if it was exactly the same. If you get in a, on a different motorbike and it has a slightly higher or lower CC, when you do that first rev and you go forward, the acceleration is going to be different. But it's, it's even like it's the car, same with the car. You find in the biting point on the clutch yes, and the car is different exactly. in all cars. So. Yeah. The, yeah. That, that, that did throw me a bit. I, I would say my, my probably, my biggest problem, not with Anne Hathaway, I found that in this film, she was almost impressively unimpressive in the way of, <laughs> I just think she did exactly kind of what she was meant to do and there wasn't really i mean that whole screaming scene i think was probably the highlight where she was mm. but i never in this film i often even forget she's in it 
because she's just so, in my mind, so inconsequential. Like, I know she's yeah. kind of there at major plot points, but she doesn't, there's no, there's no moment in, in the film where I go, oh, she's amazing. Like, whereas, like, you know, for example, with Dark Knight, there's a moment for almost every character where you're like, God, you're badass, or God, that's cool. Whereas with her, I just keep forgetting she exists. The funny thing for me is that seeing Anne Hathaway in a role like this, because when I, when I think of Anne Hathaway, oh, I, I think of the Princess Diaries. <laughs> 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 so I'm like, what are you doing? You're the queen of Shinovia. <laughs> You're princess of Shinovia. <laughs> so then I see her playing Catwoman and I'm just like, no. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit, of a, a bit of a calm down, really. From <laughs> I was going to say with, with Bane as well is that my, my biggest problem with Bane isn't the, the funny accent or anything like that. It's actually just that he, for lack of a better word, kicks the shit out of Batman. And then mm. Batman gets back broken, hides in that little hole for a while, <laughs> yeah. trains for a bit, comes back and absolutely wrecks Bane by just knocking him in the face a few yeah, times. Yeah, and he's been locked in a prison and he hasn't like, had any yeah. proper medical... Well, and apart from that like, doctor. Well, your bones are falling apart. You haven't been Batman for what, however... I mean, the amount of time he's in that goddamn hole. I think the, I think City was on lockdown for five and a bit months. And by the time Batman escapes, yeah, well, the, it's the about bomb, three yeah. weeks before the problem goes off. So I presume it took him just under three weeks to get from where he was to Gotham, which is a massive plot hole in itself. Yeah, how, so, right, where where was that hole? Because how did he even get back into Gotham if all so of the, some, like... It's somewhere in the Middle East, you know, or, or like, you know, Eastern Europe. Um, and it's, it's, it was a problem then the film came out. People were like, how did that happen? Like, how did he get back to Gotham City? Um, with no only, money. <laughs> yeah, with no money. The only thing is, like you say, there's a little, when he escapes from the hole, there's a shot and it shows him walking to a town. And so mm. you sort of go, okay, maybe he was able to get to the phone, but then like, you can't, who did he ring? Cause he can't have rung Lucius or anything like that. Cause they're all in the city. So yeah, it's a bit of a glaring pot plot hole as to how he get and fast as well. Like, it's yeah. not like two weeks later, he's got back. It's, I don't know. I'm, I'm literally back within a day and a half. Um, <laughs> but that's what from I, the moment he gets out of the because... hole. The whole timing thing you mentioned, because obviously the, the bomb's got about a five month or so time limit to it explodes. And obviously everything happens in the last few moments, of course. Um, and then, which obviously does go to the ending. Um, but then it is him, from the way I kind of interpreted it was he was down in that hole for like four or so months. And well, then he yeah. gets out. And the only reason I even, well, the only reason I even say this part is, this is me guessing, is because he gets out of the hole and then the next scene or the scene just before that scene was something about, I think Gordon saying, we've got about three weeks. And then once Batman's in the place talking with everyone, at some point, someone mentions you've got about 20 hours or 12 hours. Mm. So it's one of those things where it's like, how, if they just, it's one of those annoying things that pisses me off with certain films where it's like a glaring plot hole that could literally have been solved by him literally just saying, oh, you know, I've got contacts. And I know a secret way into the city. And you're all like a bat boat or some crap. You just go, mm. okay, there we go. Problem solved. But you don't tell us anything. And then you're just like, what well, on earth? Th this is that film that I said about the passage of time. The passage of time in this film really bothers me. Because, mm. you know, they, they, they tell you dates or they tell you periods of time. But it never quite... It, it's not like they're telling you in you know sequential order like or it matters or anything like at one point they acknowledge that the police that have been trapped under the city have been trapped for three months mm. and then in the next scene or a couple of scenes later like lucius talks about the bomb and it says oh it's got three weeks and you're like okay so bruce has been gone for three months because it happened at the same you know the police being trapped happened at the same time um that he and bain had that fight so you got three months so then you've got three weeks 
before the bomb goes off. But then Bruce sort of just turns up. <laughs> so I'm like, <laughs> is that a week later? Is that two weeks later? I, I, like, you know, I, I don't know. And it's sort of, it's not shown in the film. And I don't want, you know, even if it was just to say, use that bomb. Yes, you've had, you know, it's just one of the stupidest things in this film, but use that bomb as a literal countdown. So if someone was to say, right, you have got, by the half-life of the material in the bomb, you've got so many days until that bomb just goes off. You know, it goes unstable and it'll go off. You've got 150 days. And every now and then, just show a counter. Yeah. So yeah. from the moment he destroys it, 150 days, and then you've got the thing where like Bruce goes missing and comes back. You're now down to 40 days before the thing goes. And then it shows him showing up and sa- saving you know, Gordon or something. Right, You're down to 30 days or whatever. Just show it as a, as a, as a literal countdown to the exploding of the bomb it would just help a little bit to show the passage of time in this film because it fit, you know, yes, time passes, but it feels like it could happen in a fortnight, this film. Yeah. In reality. It doesn't feel um, like basically six months. No. Which is- yeah. Cause when, when they first said that the bomb was going to go off in five months time, it, yeah, it, it didn't feel like it was five months. It just got really <laughs> confusing. Yeah. And then the whole city obviously kind of goes to chaos and stuff. And I, I kind of agree with the use call where it's like, the ideas of this film and almost like the footnotes of this film are excellent. And there's so many cool moments and ideas in it that I love. But then when you get to kind of, it's almost when you look a bit closer, it's almost like it's a masterpiece from a distance. And then every step you take that's closer, you notice a little bit that's more wrong with it. And the mm. more, more close I get to it and the more I kind of analyze it, the more certain parts just don't really add up. Like obviously the, the woman in it um, is basically Ra's al Ghul's daughter. And that just feels not only really quite unnecessary, but it doesn't really feel like it fits. And it kind of felt a bit shoehorned in for me. I didn't know. Did you feel that? Well, the funny thing is, is that at the beginning of the film, when she was first introduced, I asked Mike whether she was poison Ivy. <laughs> yeah. Because hasn't seen this film, so. I hadn't seen the film. So I was like, <laughs> you noticed something. I off. noticed something was off with her. So I was like, Oh, she's going to be a baddie. And like, I didn't explicitly say that out loud, but the fact that I asked whether she was poison Ivy yeah. kind of indicates that. But like, I was like, oh, so she's a different villain that doesn't yeah. really have much information to her apart from that she's like meant to be good throughout the entirety of the film. And then literally in like the last like five minutes, very short <laughs> period of time, she's suddenly this baddie. And I'm like, okay. Yeah, it's, it's weird. Like, again, it comes down to like, what is her motivation? It's all confusing. Um, but it's, yeah, so her motivation, because you think about her, um, is yeah her her motivation like she's following in her father's footsteps to bring about the destruction or the balance of of uh, Gotham City and you know she wants to take revenge on Bruce Wayne and it's like but you sleep with him and you you're close to him multiple times I don't you know you I, if anything killing Bruce Wayne when you were sleeping with him would have actually prevented him from doing anything later in the film so she's also like her own worst enemy you're like well you cut that one up you dumbass <laughs> and the reveal does feel a bit painless I mean because again in the comics Bane thank god we've got a decent Bane because the one from Batman and Robin is, is horrendous you said but, that when you first saw Bane, Bane. when you first saw yeah. Bane like, one scene after the flight scene Megan was like I like this Bane a lot more than the other one yeah the <laughs> yeah. other one's just like it's basically like Frankenstein's monster yeah becomes exactly. zombie wrestler <laughs> um but yeah, so you've got Bane, and in the comics, like he was his own villain. Like he did a bunch of stuff to prove he was better than Batman by pu- pushing Batman to the edge and then literally breaking Batman's back. That 
that happens in the comics. So Bane is a sufficient villain of his own, but then to bring in Talia al Ghul, you know, or Miranda as she is in this film, it does, it feels sort of forced. But more than that, like, again, Marion Coutelard is good for portions of this film, but then from the moment she's revealed to be the villain, all of a sudden she's, she goes into, like, Doctor Evil territory of acting. So she's like, she's been this sort of character who's trying to sort of support Bruce throughout all of it, and she's providing this emotional support, and then it's revealed, she's like, and now I'm the villain. And you're like, <laughs> what? What happened to you? Why have you all of a sudden... She gives this ridiculous... When she's stabbed and killed at the end, it's the worst death scene. Like, she sort of gives this little monologue and then sort of slumps in the chair, and it's almost like, ugh. That deserved another take, that did. Come on, that really was terrible. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and again, like you say, this film... I I think the success of The Dark Knight is the biggest problem this film has. Mm. In that it wants to keep... Exactly, it wants to up its ante. Because you've got the thing they call the bat, the little bat wing thing that they've got. And you've got this little mystery about the... um, uh, the, the what's it called the self-piloting or whatever it's called oh, autopilot yeah and so you got this thing and it's a cool again cool little vehicle it floats around you know, just between the things you get a, a nice little chase at the end which I like and I think the end's again quite kind of cool is in visually it's cool doesn't make a great deal of sense but then when he flies off with the bomb and, and and all that and it's like you know it's just like oh my god this just feels so sort of forced like i don't feel like there's the, the you know when he's flying off it i don't know it, it it just feels inauthentic to me not inauthentic to batman i don't that's not what i mean it just feels it just feels rote you know, I, yeah, yeah it is it feels like a cheap ending um you know i don't know it just feels it does feel a bit a bit cack well i feel with this film as well is that with when we watch Batman Begins, I feel like the ending is kind of the weakest part of that. And by the last half hour, it does, you're feeling, okay, this film kind of needs to get to the end a bit. You know, it's mm. two hours 20 or two hours 15 or something. So it's longer. Dark Knight, I stand by exactly what you said, Scott. I feel like the whole film, because there's so much a mix of action, plot, cleverness, cool things to make keep your attention, all, all the right things. I never, I've seen that film multiple times. I've watched it probably more than most films. And I still don't get bored of it. And I still, it baffles me that when you watch it, it's two and a half hours because it doesn't feel like that. It feels like a two hour movie. Mm. This film is like two hours 40 or something. It feels like about three hours. It just, so many parts of it where you're just like, I remember we we watched it a couple of days ago and we were, it got to, we started watching it a little bit later than intended, but we had about an hour left and I, I don't normally look at the clock. I try and avoid it because it normally doesn't work out for the best. And I was like, and I just glanced and I was like, oh shit. And I was like, I like the film. Like I genuinely like the movie. But I look at it something and there's another hour of this left. And I was yeah. just like, and it kind of ends, you know, the bomb blows up and you go, oh, cool, it's almost over. And then you look at the time, and like, oh, there's another like, 25 minutes there. And you're like, oh, for, oh, just end, please. I just feel like there's lots of little bits in this film that didn't need to happen. Like, yeah. So where you said, Scott, about the whole thing with Bane reading out the letter, obviously, like, <laughs> Uh, so I found that whole thing with the letter weird anyway. Obviously, they needed the letter to happen so that people could realise that Harvey Dent wasn't all that he was, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. Like, that needed to happen. But, like, when they're at the, the Harvey Dent day and he has it in his jacket pocket, the um, commissioner, and then he gets it out to read it and he's like, I don't think the city's ready for the truth about Harvey Dent, and then puts it in his pocket. And I'm like, 
You're talking into a microphone. Yeah, people like, know you're there. People, yeah. people can hear you. Why has no one gone, well, yeah. oh, what's the truth about Harvey Dent then? Like, clearly can, you, can you tell us? Like, yeah. some, clearly something's up if you're distressed yeah, about what, it. It's just felt really unnecessary. I know, I know, and I don't know, I know that what happened with, with Gordon and Harvey was intense and was terrible because it's the, you know, but even, even Gordon admits it's for the better. Right, what the events of, of Batman taking on, you know, the being accused of the murders of him was the right thing. He's the hero that um, Gotham needed, you know, at that time, sort of thing. Um, I, you know, so he's he's all right with that. So eight years later, he's been carrying this guilt for, but like, he doesn't know who Batman is. It's not like he's bothered by. So, so I don't know why he sort of all of a sudden goes. Do you know what? I really need to ruin everything that we've built for the city for the last <laughs> decade. And he wrote it all out as well. Like three pages. It's like three whole pages. It is pages. a chunky little like pamphlet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. So, you, I mean, even if he was to read it out, after the second page, people would have lost interest anyway, I think. You know. <laughs> yeah. It's um, just Harvey Dent almost killed Gordon's children. He murdered a few people and he went off the rails. You don't... Like, obviously, there could be a bit more theatrics to that sentence, but you don't need three pages yeah. to explain no. that. But even so, he's like, I'm going to do this to ruin the fact that we actually stopped. We've... Pro- we have removed organized crime from gotham city but you know i'm going to retire soon so i want the next person to have a really <laughs> tough time of it like, i don't i don't get what his motivation is like you know you've lived with it for eight years just live with it it's bizarre and the fact that his, his kids were kind of his family were gone and they'd kind of split from him it makes you question because well so there's been no crime in gotham you're basically the the best easiest job that gotham's yeah, ever had is the commissioner and you've <laughs> lost you your family it's like what yeah. have you been doing it just seems like what he wants to do is create a little bit of fuss so that he has something to do before he stops being commissioner yeah, yeah. yeah. gordon in this film is is my least favorite of the three yeah same. yes he does do a couple he, of i cool found things, him quite irritating in this film he does just seem to be a crux of his, himself he just kind of seems like he almost like ties his own shoelaces together and then keeps falling over and you're just like yes what are you doing? his own worst enemy um I, I would say though i like joseph gordon levitt as the young cop because it's him that sort of ends up calling him out as being a bit of a dick about the whole thing yeah <laughs> you know like and I, I kind of like that. And I, again, I, I do like Joseph Gordon-Levitt as an actor, so yeah, I, I think he's very good in this. What I would say is, though, again, good cinematography. Um, I can never get over the fact, so I don't know if you guys have ever seen, there's a, there was a programme called Third Rock from the Sun. I've no. heard of it, but I haven't watched it. Was it was a sitcom in the 90s, uh, late 90s, early 2000s, with a young Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and it was about a family of aliens that came to Earth and had to try and pretend to be human. It's very good. Um, but... Uh, he was very young when he did it. And so I always, I always have this image of a very young Joseph Gordon-Levitt and he's quite short. Mm. He's only five, he's five, nine, which isn't that short, but I always think of him of a lot shorter, but Christian Bale is six foot. And so uh, Tom Hardy's five, nine as well, but they obviously wanted Bane to look a, a lot bigger. So, and it really shocked me that when I did find out he was five, nine, cause they really shoot him to look bigger and bulkier than Batman in this film but to know he's the same size and height as, as Joseph Gordon-Levitt was actually like, <laughs> Jesus they've, they've done a really good job of making Tom Hardy look massive in this film so um, that's quite impressive all right I, I think we sort of we've done we've done the three uh, we've gone through the Nolan verse so just as a wrap-up then um, just as we would you know we, we're going to look over across that veranda and see a smiling Bruce Wayne with Anne Hathaway um, 
and we're going to happily go off into the into the sunset. What are your final thoughts then as we go off uh, about Dark Knight Rises? Do you want me to go first? Or? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so, a couple of things. First of all, I want to ask you this, Scott. Was there ever a plan to make a sequel to this? I presume there wasn't. No. But, okay, so the whole, because of that, the Robin thing pissed me off. Um, because <laughs> it was like, him find, like him find the Batcave. It was quite cool, but I feel like... It did they end did, like there was going to be another movie. they did too much, I feel like. What they should have done is like a taste. Like the Rob, them ending on Your Name is Robin, and then maybe him going towards the Batcave or just seeing it, I would be more happy with. But the fact that they basically bluntly wasted screen time because the films would be really long anyway, of him going into the Batcave and finding it, I feel like him just seeing the Batcave would have been enough, and him being called Robin would have been enough. So that annoyed me a little bit because I was like, oh, cool. I want more Joseph Gordon-Levitt in like a Batman film. It'd be cool. Maybe have the first Nightwing movie. That would be sick. No. Uh, <laughs> and then the whole, yeah, him blowing up the bomb in the night Batwing, you're just like, this is just such a cop out. You know he hasn't done that. Like, you know he, Batman's are going to die in that sort of way. It's just lame. The the joke, the joke, Alfred on the grave thing, I really like that. That's probably the highlight of the end. But it's a lot shorter than I remember it being. I remember it being quite an emotional long ride. He only says like three things. I remember <laughs> it being quite long. So clearly I remember that wrong. I thought it was like this massively emotional mm. big scene, but it's kind of just a, oh yeah, Alfred's sad by the way. Okay. Uh, and then <laughs> with Batman getting away with Anne Halfway, I was just like, what they should have done is had the person who was Raz Al Ghul's um, daughter, was it Miranda Al Ghul or something? Miranda. Miranda, yeah. Yeah. Um, Miranda, well, they, I feel like what they should have done really is just not had her go bad and he go off with her because I know Catwoman has had a romance with um, Batman a lot, but in this film they had no chemistry of any kind. They didn't yeah. even really seem like they even liked each other. I think they kissed at one point and you're just like, where's this come from? And then at the end they're together and you're like, well, so Catwoman's giving up her life of crime. Batman obviously lost all his money because that's what they established at the start of the film. So you've got a penniless Bruce Wayne, Anne Hathaway, who's apparently stealing things to pay off this past that mm. never gets brought up again while well, you've got no on-screen chemistry but you end up together and you're just like oh, this is just one of those i feel like the last 15 minutes of this film kind of like christopher nolan was like like we'll finish it here when they call him robin and someone else went now nah, let's just add 15 more minutes that won't really add anything just yeah. Because because we need to wrap this up in a nice little bow. The thing is, though, is that I, I see what you're saying, but I, I love the fact that... Um, Alfred. Oh shit, thank you. Alfred got to see what he always wanted. Yeah. It's just nice to see Alfred happy after, <laughs> after having to deal with all of the shit that Bruce Wayne has made him go through. It's just yeah. nice that he finally got what yeah. he wanted, being in Italy, yeah. seeing him with a lovely girl, because that's literally all Bru that's all he wants I mean, for him. That is, it is nice, I just don't think it really fits with not No, only it, doesn't, it doesn't fit, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> and that's who they're aiming for. It's me. I, I am their target audience. <laughs> Here's what I think. You know, I, I, I heard you saying, and um, Omega, you got anything else you want to say about the film before we, before I jump in? Nah, it was. Oh, I enjoyed it. It was alright. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. Is it? It's a bit. You mentioned Lord of the Rings earlier on. It feels a little bit like Return of the King, doesn't it? You sort of go, oh, it's ending. Oh no, no. Oh, it's going to end now, isn't it? Nope, nope. They've got a bit more. They've got a bit more Hobbity stuff to do. Um, it's the same. It's sort of, they keep tacking on ends, and some of them mean more than this. Like I don't care about the whole robin thing you know it, it, it it's interesting but you could do without it you could cut it all out the only ending you need is the alfred ending yeah, yeah. um you know and again the same thing of you know the fact that he used the money to support the boys homes and stuff again it's nice but it's not needed like he doesn't you know it's, it's a good it's a nice touch but it's needed but the, in my own head canon like you know you don't 
I, this film could continue, and I'm, I'm surprised that they've never gone. You know, DC Comics has never gone. Do, do you know what? We should continue the Nolan verse in comics. The idea of somebody else taking on the bat mantle and becoming batman and you know what his bat cave is under a boy's home that used to be the gotham because the, the bat cave is now under the boy's home that he grew up in you know he, he of the institute that he grew from like mm. wow there's a story there and you know give him new villains do new things like you could really do something with that and him not having any money and him having to do with all of the back gear and having to keep like oh, maintaining no, it, it and finding yeah, yeah that would like, be a really interesting story yeah. yeah like he's quit the police he's got this thing you know and people so i think there's some there's a story that they ha- they should have told what i want to do though is i'd like to know more of the story about like say if batman or sorry if bruce wayne and, and selena kyle in italy now you see them as a happy couple i i want to think in my head that basically you say that she's given up her life of crime well they look pretty wealthy sat there yeah they do look wealthy and she did not have any money so um i'm pretty sure that life of crime didn't end Uh, and in fact they've gone all bonnie and clyde and they're just touring europe um (laughs) through people's homes and stealing jewels that's what i think um and so this whole scene when he turns up and like you know bruce wayne wants to see Alfred and do that bit. And, that, you know, that's nice. Don't you say Alfred gets his happy ending. But the moment they leave that scene, you don't know what they're saying to each other. They could be really bitter towards each other and everything. But, you know, you could get bickering <laughs> constantly. You know. your, no, no. Your fault, your fault we're here. Fuck They've off, ended mate. up happy. You in your face. <laughs> you this is why, oh, oh, this is why <laughs> Raz Al Ghul's, uh, Miranda Al Ghul, it would have worked in that way because then it would have made sense in the, in the comic canon of Damian Wayne existing because it could have then... <laughs> Instead, they were just like, let's do a quick thing. It's like in Frozen when they're that guy and they're like, oh, let's just have him out, turn him into a baddie in the last 10 minutes for no real reason. And it, was, it just yeah. felt a bit, a bit unnecessary. It, and I feel like if they'd kept it in, it could have been different. It, I agree. There's some nice, it wraps things up. And I, I do think the whole, the three films are a nice arc. They are, you know, they're not the comics Batman. And I'm happy and fine with that. And it has this nice, you know, beginning, middle and end. But the problem, I do find that the third film starts to lurch into camp a little bit. And so all the sort of the gritty noir that you've built up in the second film starts to fall away a little bit. But yeah, I'm so glad we got to do this and I'm so glad you got to watch them. And I have to say, Megan, I'm so impressed that you got through nine Batman films. Granted, we've done it over a little bit of time, but still nine Batman films is impressive. I feel like I've... I've High five to you. Yay! (laughs) You did well. Especially because like a good couple of them are actively bad. Like yeah, that's, yeah. that's the funny yeah. part is like you watched a lot of Batman films. Only half are really proper worth watching. Yeah, really. the the thing I'm going to take away from this is yes, I made you watch Batman and Robin, but you've also admitted that you don't remember films. So luckily, that stain will be removed from your memory. So oh no no no, Batman and Robin is forever forged in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> I just remember the line in that film where. George Clooney calls him Dick and that made me laugh more than anything else and then Mike was like that's just his name and I was like oh right okay (laughs) that's the perfect metaphor for that film is the funniest part about the film is when you think the film isn't being that film that's the best part yeah yeah so anyway let's we'll wrap up there thank you so much for doing this retrospective with me it's been an absolute joy to do this and uh you know we um, I know you're doing reading more Batman comics at the moment Mike so yeah, I hope hoping this has been a bit of a uh, an info dump for you as well. 
Um, but before we go, obviously, where can people find you and uh, also listen to what you do? Yeah, um, I was going to say, yeah, thanks so much for having us on, Scott. It's, it's been really, really fun. And it's, it's been a good excuse. I mean, months and months ago, before we even agreed to do this, Megan and I were talking about re-watching The Dark Knight because it's just such a good film. And this is quite a good reason to do so. And I've always wanted to, you know, re-watch uh, the Burton vs. Batman films. Not so much Batman and Robin, could have done without that. But, you know, <laughs> being able to re-watch them and stuff has been a lot of fun because it's a, you know, it's a talking point in a lot of ways. And me and Megan spending these evenings chatting with you, Batman, it's not something, you know, even if we talk about a film, we don't sit there and talk about it for two hours. So that's been, that's been really cool. And I would like to also add... I would love, no pressure to agree to this, but I'd love to do a part four, like a couple of years down the line, for like Justice League, Batman vs Superman, and The Batman, which probably, all, depending if it was the Snyder Cut or whatever, that could be the most uh, turbulent yeah. <laughs> Batman <laughs> retrospective possible, because I'm sure we'd have a lot of strong opinions on, I, on that regard. I um, will happily get my cat claws out on Justice League and Batman v Superman, happily. <laughs> so yes, we yeah, will I do know that. I you hate that. Yeah, I will. Yeah, no I, will I will put that in for in the future. Yes. Wait for the Patterson Batman because it's what Megan's looking forward to the most. But anyway, where you can find us? Uh, well, you can find me at Genuine Chit Chat on Instagram, Twitter, and on Facebook. I've got two podcasts. I've got one which is Genuine Chit Chat, which Scottis himself has appeared on, and Megan's appeared on multiple episodes, either by herself or featuring as a the self-proclaimed co-host i'm a self-proclaimed co-host yeah so if you like me chatting with people about on oh, all matter of things i think you're going to come on at some point in the next mm. couple of months to talk about hp lovecraft because last time we tried to talk about hp lovecraft we talked about sci-fi uh spe- special effects and all kinds of things yeah special effects and crossovers for two hours <laughs> i didn't even get onto it <laughs> yeah um so yeah genuine chit chat is the main podcast and if you follow me on social media you'll see i talk about my other show star wars comics in canon which is found on the feed of comics in motion and on comics in motion there's a different uh comic related podcast every day of the week about all kinds of different stuff uh, so make sure you check that out because i also guest appear on loads of them so if you want to mm. hear my voice anymore just go on ahead it'll be great <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's basically where you can find me and where you can listen to megan megan has one place you can find her on social media yeah i don't i don't have a podcast i'm not cool or interesting <laughs> you get all the fun of being on mine without all the editing and social media and all the yeah. other jazz uh, i mean if you if you really want to follow me on social media you can i have an instagram account dedicated to my health and like weight loss journey and there's a lot of food on there a lot of pictures of me like having just done exercise so sweaty, <laughs> sweaty photos and food is what you can find um, so if you're interested in following that it's grits gets fit g-r-i-t-t-s oh god gets god. fit there you go yeah. <laughs> the only, only reason i spelled it is because last time we spoke to someone and they thought it was one t for grits yeah and also uh, the funny thing is, is that because we've been doing batman you keep saying gritty which is my surname so yeah. every time you say it, I'm just like, oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny. Be, her, Megan's least favorite comment is if something, if someone says the nitty gritty. Let's get down to the nitty gritty. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so I sometimes like to try and drop it in there at certain points where I know she can't. In any podcast she's in, I'll try and say it because then she can't make a fuss. <laughs> you just tell me off afterwards. But yeah, but yeah grits get spits with the two T's. Excellent. So uh, go yeah, check this thanks out. Thanks again, Scott. No, no worries, guys. And for me, so if you want to come talk to us, you obviously you found us. So we're at 20th Century Geek on all the social medias, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Uh, we have got the website. It's 20thCenturyGeek.com. Uh, all, the, all the podcasts are on there, as well as reviews, news, and other things I've done as blogs. Uh, and also parts of our sister podcast, Stories Out of Time and Space. Uh, I have a Patreon uh, as well where i do a monthly podcast called 30 minute thoughts where it's me just giving 30 minute thoughts on a different topic each month and we have our patreon uh, creator corner so every quarter 
I bring on a creator to talk about a project that they are doing. We've had Kieran Gillen on recently to talk about his comic, Once and Future. So please check those out. But otherwise, again, guys, thank you very much for coming on. And uh, we shall check you out in the, some point in the future.